Booster is excited to support DIA Schools Collaborative on furthering the missions of our respective organizations through Follow to Lead podcast and other DIA programming. Visit ChooseBooster.com for details on Booster's school fundraising events, technology, and customized spirit gear. Booster can help your Catholic school meet and exceed its fundraising goals. Learn more today. Welcome to Follow to Lead, where we discover how to listen for and follow God's call so that we might lead others to God. Our shared stories of inspiration from religious leaders and those active in the educational ministry of the church can help you know better how God is calling you and the role passionate Catholic education plays in spreading His message of faith, hope, and love. Now please welcome the hosts of Follow to Lead, Father Randy Sly and Kyle Pietrantonio. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ the Teacher, teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice calling us to cast down deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education, exploring what it means to follow God in order to lead others to Him. I'm Father Randy Sly, your host. And today, we're going to be talking with Matt Meeks, who is the CEO of Catholic Ventures. Now, Catholic Ventures began in 2021 as an incubator for technology in the church, with a vision to sanctify the use of modern technology and provide an alternative to big tech, and that we're hearing so much about these days. Now, their newest venture is Lion and Lamb, the first ever Catholic children's book subscription box that helps families pass down the faith through good stories and character-forming bedtime conversations. And with an extensive background in media, creative digital and communications, analytics, leadership. Matt has advised Hollywood studios, game developers and publishers, celebrity talent and tech startups, and has an exemplary track record in building teams to achieve success. And he left the entertainment and advertising industries in 2013 to serve the church full-time as the first chief digital officer at the Archdiocese of Los Angeles and later as the Chief Marketing and Innovation Officer for the Augustan Institute. He's married, father of three boys, and is residing on a farm in Minnesota. Matt, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we're glad that you could be with us today. And one of the things we like to do at the beginning of the program is give time for our guests to share a little bit about themselves. Could you tell us a little bit about your upbringing? Sure, yeah. Upbringing, I grew up in Bradenton, Florida. Not, not too far from the water on the, the West Coast. It's about an hour south of Tampa. I was, I was baptized Methodist, I think, but in Catholic as far as I can remember. So, so my parents were going through a little phase. My dad was Baptist. My mom was Catholic, and they thought Methodist was somewhere in between, I think. And so, but, so, but grew up Catholic, moved to Denver in middle school. I've got a, a sister who's now a religious sister. She's a sister of mercy of Alma and a brother with special needs, Michael. And uh, yeah, lived in Denver. I went to school 
in Omaha for a bit at Creighton University and then finished at the University of Colorado and then moved out to Los Angeles for that career in the entertainment industry and uh, quickly, you know, didn't know what the Lord was doing. I was discerning priesthood at the same time that my job was driving people to watch Warner Brothers television shows and uh, really kind of asking the Lord what he was working and what he was doing. And if I was called to be a light in this dark industry, or if I was called to, to serve him elsewhere. And then I developed a friendship with Archbishop Gomez and went to work for the archdiocese there. And, and soon after met my wife and realized I was called to a different priesthood. And, you know, now I have three boys and, and uh, went, went back to Denver for a little bit and, and, through, through grace and, and God's, God's goodness, and now on a farm in Minnesota, raising my family, raising my boys. That's quite a, an exciting and yeah. <laughs> an interesting journey that you've been on. And, you know, you've, you've had quite an exciting career. I know my first career was in radio and TV and yeah. before I discerned for ministry. And I mean, the kind of career you had, I mean, working for Warner Brothers, Fox, Paramount, yeah. and so many others. I mean, this is like every guy's dream in terms of media and, and technology. And then in 2013, that huge jump to the archdiocese. So in addition to in discerning for the priesthood, what else was going on in your heart that you made the jump even to begin just working for the archdiocese as a layman? Yeah. You know, well, it was interesting. I, I had all the stuff that, that is, as you were saying, like everybody's dream to work in entertainment or to have all this kind of flashy life around you. And that stuff was definitely there for me. I was young. I was living in Los Angeles. I was in charge of business development and bringing in new business. So that meant that after work, I was at parties every night, meeting people right. and kind of part of the scene. And I've got so many funny, ridiculous stories like in terms of just different celebrities I worked with and things like that, but it was all just so empty. And, and I knew that the Lord was calling me like tasking me with learning something. Like I was learning skills that I felt the church really needed to be taking advantage of and using because I saw how we were like in the, in the, in the digital realm, we were just getting out, we were being the church was being completely outpaced by the secular world in terms of reaching souls and reaching young people and and I was part of the machine that was the problem you know and mm -hmm. and so so I knew that the Lord had me there to learn but I was in this empty place where I'd walk around the lot at Warner Brothers and and kind of just I'd take a I'd take regular walks and kind of pray my rosary in my pocket and just like why am I here you know and I did I didn't want even though I had this life that everybody wants I didn't want it Right. So, and I didn't know how long he was going to keep me there. And so, so it really, uh, I started, I met Archbishop Gomez through and through a, a number of moments of, you know, that were just, these were clearly God connection moments where like at, at a point of discernment, I, I, I was coming back from a trip to Rome and just told the Lord really clearly, where do you want me? And I got off the plane and I got in line in customs and immediately behind me walked Archbishop Gomez from a different trip, you know, and so <laughs> things like that, where it was like, right. Yeah. Something's going on, you know? And so, so I started just kind of advising David Scott, who's, who's very close with the Archbishop. He's, he's the, the, a vicar in the, the archdiocese and overseas communications and, um, and, uh, 
I started advising him, giving him some thoughts on different things. And then that turned into David asking me if, if I ever consider working full time. And I sat down with David and the archbishop and it just kind of seemed like a dream come true. Everything, right. <laughs> everything I was learning as a lay person in the, in the secular world, like I was giving, being given the opportunity to put that to work in an archdiocese with a bishop's blessing, you know, and, and, and the archbishop generously it kind of gave me all the resources I could ever need to, to see what we could do. And so it was a, it, it was like a no brainer, you know, mm-hmm. I, I knew it was probably ending my career forever. I wasn't going to go back and get another job at Warner brothers, but I was pretty happy about that too. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it is interesting how you you're basically, you're kind of, uh, okay, I'm ready to jump off this cliff. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. God catches you but yeah. you know that you can't go back on the cliff again. So exactly. Yeah. now you worked in Los Angeles, then you worked for the Augustan Institute in Denver. Mm-hmm. And I, I know we want to talk about lion and lamb, but uh, that really is comes out of your work with Catholic ventures. What's the genesis of Catholic ventures? Yeah. So, so I, as I was working at the Augustan Institute, we were tasked with kind of fixing some things within the formed platform that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, delivers content to families and parishes and all of this stuff. That it's a really wonderful, wonderful tool in the church. Absolutely. And, uh, and the Augustine Institute was doing some really wonderful things in terms of bringing all of these apostolates together. So the Augustine Institute like had this gravity that was attracting all of these other media and content companies into one place on the form platform. And, uh, and I, I really, to me, the thing that motivates me in my work in the church is, is John 17 and our Lord's kind of priestly prayer where he, he's praying for unity in the church. And, uh, and he says that evangelization, like the evangelization of the world will flow from the unity of the church. And I think sometimes we get that wrong. So we have mm-hmm. all these initiatives that are doing wonderful things in their own right. But the Lord prays that all might be one so the world will believe. And so to me, I think that that's kind of, it should be ordered that way, that if we can figure out how to work together, the church is fully resourced. If we can, if we can operate as a family, which is what we truly are, mm-hmm. then, then the world will wake up. And, and that's a prayer on our Lord's heart. And so, um, so I saw the success of that informed and, and I had a real desire to figure out how to do that in other ways. And mm-hmm. so the genesis of Catholic ventures came out of the fact that the Augustine Institute is doing so many things, but it can't do everything. And I wanted to take what we had learned and formed and then figure out how to do that in other aspects of technology. So, so we launched Catholic.store was the first thing that we launched, which is an e-commerce platform that connects Catholic businesses and publishers all in one place. So we built an app that allows us to basically integrate all these Catholic small businesses in one place. And then in the, the idea being that the rising tide lifts all ships, we're supporting all these businesses together. And then we're working on something similar for healthcare right now. So connecting all the Catholic healthcare organizations and then lion and lamb was really an idea that came out of us talking to our customers in, in a personal felt need that we had for helping children and families find great books and, and taking, you know, it's impossible for, for moms and dads to, to find the time to read everything that their child consumes, you know? Mm-hmm. And so 
we wanted to be able to arm families with just really rich, wonderful books that work, you know, from from throughout history and from current Catholic authors, new Catholic authors, new great children's books that would allow us to do the same thing, but in a physical way. So it's actually Lion and Lamb is the least technical thing that we're doing. Right. You know, but but how do we integrate all of these great things together in one place and send this box to family homes so that families can find great books for their kids? And where did the name Lion and Lamb? How did how did you I, I know there's a scripture about the lion and the lamb, obviously. How, yeah. Why lion and lamb for the children's work? Yeah, I don't know. That actually that came to me in prayer. I was like, we were like, should we just call it Catholic Book Club? You know, <laughs> <laughs> very unique. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, and uh, I was thinking about it and the words were just on my heart and I couldn't really chase it and chase it away. And I said, well, that's actually a really cool name. And I like the idea of like the the lions being the protectors of the lambs, like the the, you know, and then both both being symbols of Christ, the lion mm-hmm. and the lamb, but that the parents are kind of these lions now that are, you know, responsible for the protection of their little lambs, but at the same time, forming their little lambs into lions. And so, so the, 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 the oldest child level of our book club is lion. And the idea is that as a child goes through our book club, they progress from, from, you know, a, a duckling to a lamb to a but but they grow in virtue and and then they become protectors themselves. So you have right now three levels of books. You have the ducklings, the lambs, and the lions. And tell us a little bit about how that subscription works. Yeah. So well, so how it works is if you subscribe to Lion and Lamb, you're going to get three to five wholesome books a quarter. So every three months based on your child's age and reading level. And, uh, and then in addition to the books, there are discussion questions and kind of synopses of the books and then discussion questions for the parents so that they can help guide their children through the books and pull the, the virtues and truths out of the books and morals out of the books. And then fun little kind of tchotchkes and gifts for the kids. So we'll have stickers in the box or, you know, potentially like little tiny St. Chains, like, like things like that, that the kids, the kids love. Um, and then how we came up with the levels was kind of categorizing children based on age and reading level. So in the, the duckling box, that's your, your toddler who can't read yet, but it's like board books and picture books and things like that. The, the lamb box is early readers. So it's going to be, you know, really good stories that parents can read to their kids, but also good stories that kids can start to read on their own. And then the lion box is getting into novels and chapter books and things like that. Oh, that sounds really great. And then how are the books chosen? Yeah. So Jessica Thornton is basically who we hired to help us with this. She is a mom of six, Catholic mom of six. She used to run a blog for parents on Catholic books and helping parents kind of, and not just Catholic books, but the part of the, the, the goal of Lion and Lamb too, is we don't want to be Catholic Amish, you know, and just hide in our own little world and only read Catholic things. We have to expose our children to the world, but do it in a way that protects them. And so, mm-hmm. so we will also have secular books, but the, 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 the whole, gen, you know, drive of the book club is that all the books are wholesome. There will be nothing, no woke agendas, no, nothing like that. Uh-huh. Um, and so, so Jessica just already had such a deep, such a wealth of knowledge in that 
And so she, and then she's also a librarian. So, so you combine all those things, Catholic mama six ran a book blog and a librarian. And, and she helps us curate the books for the boxes and think through what would be good. And also tied to the liturgical calendar. So we have our Advent and Christmas box coming up and right. there's, there's going to be books tied to the seasons of the church and things like that. And, and, and that's the idea. One of the things that struck me when I looked over the lion lamb stuff on your website and all of that is that here's here's someone who has spent his world or his life in the world of digital yeah media i mean everything is kind of moved toward the digital and i'm sitting there in my mind thinking why not a catholic kindle why, right. why not an app what you know but you went with tactile books tell us about that yeah i think that's really important i think that it's like when the when the archaeologists a thousand years from now dig up the remnants of our generation, what are they going to find that tells them about our culture? You know, what are the artifacts that define us? And it's like they might find a Kindle and have no idea what it is. You know, they won't be able to turn it on. They won't know what's inside of it. And I think that you, you read all these studies about how addictive screens are. I mean, as I become a parent. I, I, I limit the screen time for my children. We don't have a television in the house. We've got, we've got a projector and we do movies and TV night as a family, but we don't, you know, the kids can't just turn on the TV. And, and, and that's partially because I saw how addictive it was. And I also sat in meetings at Warner brothers, you know, about the television shows, the Warner brothers for your listeners is it's the largest television studio. They, 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 40 different television properties that Warner Brothers, when I was there, it was 40 television properties that the studio was working on across all the TV networks. So the Big Bang Theory, the Ellen DeGeneres show, Conan O'Brien, you know, all these shows are Warner Brothers shows. And I'd sit in these meetings and, and just, you know, they don't care about bringing children up. Right. And, right. and so, so all of those things, it was like, I don't, I think we have to, it's not that we can shun technology or turn from it. It's real. It's a good, I believe in it and it has to be sanctified. But I also think for children, for the formation of their minds, when they're so malleable and their, you know, their, their brains are developing so quickly for forming the imagination, you know, creating a Kindle or like a, a, a children's video environment doesn't form the child's imagination. I wanted them to read books and, and to dive into stories where they form the pictures in their head. And they, they, you know, the other thing that was so important to us is, you know, a lot of what we do, we, we say our customer and everything we do is the domestic church. So we're trying to help Catholic families. Right. And I think a, a, a sacred moment of the domestic church is bedtime with kids, reading story time stories with kids, because you've got, Parents who work, they're so busy that, you know, they they can't really like put their phones down or slow down, except for when they're snuggled next to their children reading a story. And so we want, we wanted to provide a vehicle that would encourage that behavior in the home. That's something I saw on the website. And it really, to me, it, it spoke volumes. You have some pictures there of a parent with a child reading a book yeah. at bedtime. Yeah. And that's a, a memory, you know, you're, you're not just doing something, but you're, you're forming a memory, not just what's being read, but that closeness, that time together. Yeah. 
Yeah, that that time together is. I mean, we all remember those times with our parents, and so it, it's it's for us to hold that in our memory and remember that it has it has a weight to it. It's an important memory to create with children. What is the feedback that you're getting from some of your subscribers? Yeah, the feedback's been phenomenal. You know, we we um, we have so many subscribers that they they appreciate the book selection. They love the idea. I don't think I've had a single person tell us like, oh, that's a really bad idea. You know, like the, uh, we've had uh, different parents just thank us for the, the helping make this easy for them, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, the feedback's been great and we've had very, very few. So we've shipped our first box. So it's still very early. We sent our first box out, which was our fall box. And we've had, I think we've, we've sent out uh, almost 800 boxes at this point to 800 families. And we've all, we've had less than five returns. So, and, and the reason for the returns have been that they ordered two boxes and they only needed one, or they uh -huh. ordered the wrong level and they want a different level. And there's been, there's been two or three that have canceled flat out, but out of 800 to me, that says we're doing something that people really value. It sounds fantastic to have that kind of a response just on, on the launch of something like that. Yeah. And, and now as far as future plans, do you plan on expanding to higher levels? Yeah, we have, we have a lot of ideas. Um, you know, I think we want the box to grow with, with, with Catholics. So, so I think, you know, like right now, the, the lion level is getting into novels, some more Catholic kind of like even getting into some fantasy stuff. Like in the last box for lion, we had the book red wall about this Abbey of mice, you know, that has one of their, their like tapestry stolen. And so, and it, and, it, and it's something sacred to them. So, so in the questions we talked about relics, we talked about this life, we talked about various different things to help mm -hmm. you know use this story, but it was a secular story, but it's still younger. So I think we want to have a next level that opens up that gets into some of the like some of the classics that you know high school age children are going to be reading, not necessarily middle aged children. And then uh, and yes, it can grow. It would grow grow with our customers. And then the other thing too, we want to get to a point where right now one of the problems is you don't like, we don't know what books people already have in their libraries. So we're trying to find unique books that are going to be relevant, but in case somebody already has a book, we've made it so that there's no risk. So if we send a book that somebody already has, they can send that book back to us for a refund. But what we would like to do in the next phase of this is allow a short list of books that people can select for each box then everybody kind of knows what they're getting in advance. Those, those are, those are the plans we've kind of talked about. I would think that would be really great to have a, a list because you could have books that would be maybe more attractive to the girls as opposed yeah. to the boys, or maybe a boy who's more sports oriented or more science oriented or a girl who's more sports or science and exactly. kind of mix it up. And the parents then become a little bit more and yeah. the selection that, that sounds really, really like a great plan for the future. Now you made a statement in uh, something I read in preparation for today. 
and the, one of the statements you made that I, I thought was really good, and it's something that we know for a fact already, you said the world is vying for your children's mind. And that sounds very ominous, but it's also very true. And I know before the program, you were telling me a little bit about a personal experience. What do you see going on in our world today regarding the battle for the mind of the child? Yeah, I, I, it's it coming from the advertising and entertainment industry. So after Warner Brothers, I went to work for a global media agency and worked in the advertising space. And so I had this unique mindset into the culture of entertainment and the culture of entertainment, well, the culture of propaganda, for lack of a better word. And those two cultures are merging. So like the advertisers worked within the entertainment industry and the entertainment people got hired out to work within the advertising industry and they're all coming together. And they recognize that you want to get consumers young. I mean, you want to get somebody into your worldview young, you know, like we worked for car companies, like automotive companies where we would advertise to people who couldn't afford cars. Like they were too young, but you want to advertise young so that when they can, they know what they want to buy already. Mm -hmm. And and so combine that with this, you know, the, the politics that we're seeing and more woke agendas and things that that are pervading these industries. So, you know, I I working in the advertising industry, you know, like I, I can tell the story of, of a boss of mine who I have a profound respect for. He was he was an executive in this global global agency, and one of the clients of ours wanted us to advertise on pornographic sites. And the executive spoke up and said that we won't do that, but it was just a money thing. So everybody, all the other executives went to bat and said, we need to. And he said, I can't do it because what it does is it makes my employees have to go through and look at these sites to determine who we're going to advertise with, how we're going to advertise with all of these things. And, and eventually he won the fight. But then the second go around, he didn't, you know, it's like they just it just keeps getting worse, like worse and worse, because when it boils down to it, money drives all of these things and money drives children's books, too. So you're dealing with publishers who may have people working for them who speak up and say, you know, we don't want the woke agenda in our books but fewer and fewer people are saying that and they're looking at what secular parents are buying. They're looking at what seems to be the dominant trends and they're putting money into books that go along with the dominant trends that bring children into this worldview. So, so yeah, we, the world is vying for the mind of a child, whether to become a future consumer or become a future voter. And we need to be vying for the mind of the child for them to become a future saint. I could care less what their politics are. I want these children to become saints. Well, there, there's a soundbite right there. I mean, that I'd like to frame that, that we want to form our children to become saints. I, I think that's such a powerful image for those of us who are Catholic and for actually for all Christianity, that that we, we really do need to look at our children through that lens. And I also wanted to, to just kind of explore with you how lion and lamb might fit into the work and mission of Catholic schools. Majority of our audience are administrators and educators in the Catholic school world. 
how can you see lion and lamb participate? Is this something that would work with libraries, school libraries, or what else could you see going on there? Yeah. So we've, we actually, I just had a good conversation about this this week. You know, we've talked about using the lion and lamb box for a school fundraiser type thing too, where like kids can go out and sell it to other families or, and, and then the school gets a benefit for that. We'd love to do something like that where the fundraiser isn't just selling, you know, random tchotchkes in a catalog, but is actually selling books that help raise saints. And uh, so we could do that. It could be something that the libraries have available and the kickback comes to the school, you know, for, for helping parents, if parents subscribe to this. So that it, it would be in its early stages, but if there's any educators listening to this that have ideas and wanted to reach out, we would be very, very open to piloting things with different Catholic schools to figure out how this book club could both help them you know, work with families to get their children to become readers and reading really great stuff while at the same time providing benefit back to the school. And if they wanted to contact you, can they do it through your website? Yeah. So if you go to catholic.ventures, it's, it's not .com, it's .ventures. There's a form there where they can just say who they are, submit it, and that goes direct to my email. That's wonderful. And the other thing with Catholic Ventures, you've got Catholic Creatives, the creation project and the Catholic store. You told us a little bit about the store. What, what are you doing with, uh, with Catholic creatives? What is that all about? Yeah. Catholic creatives is, is really something that's close to my heart. It, it pre-existed us. And so we've taken it over, but it, it's Catholic creatives is a movement of artists and just creative minded people who started connecting on Facebook. So it started as a Facebook group. And then that group grew into the groups related to a person's trade or craft. So then there was the, the painters group and the musicians group and the graphic designers group and the writers group. And then it started going into regional groups. So then the Detroit Catholic creatives and the, the, you know, uh, Huntsville, Alabama Catholic creatives. And, um, and basically all of these creatives started networking to try to figure out how to bring beauty to the church and help elevate, just elevate truth through beauty using the their their creative skills. And, mm-hmm. and then they started networking for finding jobs in the church and all of this stuff. So this pre-existed us. They had a summit where they all got together, and it was definitely it's, it's all grassroots. And and I went to that first summit and just felt so clearly this was a work of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And Fast forward a few years and the founder reached out to me and asked if we would be willing to, to help, you know, take over Catholic creatives that the founder of Catholic creatives now works for Catholic ventures. And, and it's something that we, we believe in tremendously. And, and we're currently in talks about how Catholic creatives can fit into the Eucharistic revival, how we can have these Eucharistic missionaries of kind of the arts through that community and, and, and do a number of things all over the world. To, but now the community number is close to 10,000. It's close to 10,000 wow. creative people out there that really want to serve the church with, with the gifts the Lord's given them. And is that something they can reach again through the Catholic Ventures website? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And that, that website's easy too. You just, if, I mean, if you Google Catholic creatives or go to catholiccreatives.org, you'll mm-hmm. find that. And then the creation project. Yeah, so Creation Project came out of Catholic Creatives, and that's a bunch of young 
and, and young, like younger than millennials. So like Gen Z out of college, creative professionals who are trying to figure out how to support young creatives in high school and in college mm. to be able to, to grow in their craft and then find a place where they can both find work and serve the church. Mm-hmm. And so we're working, the creative project is kind of on, it's on pause right now as we work on a series of courses that will help people. So what we're doing is taking the the old guard of Catholic creatives, the established artists and people who are doing wonderful things. And we're going to work with them to create courses for young creatives to help the young creatives, you know, whether it's a course in writing or a course in painting or a course in starting a business as a young creative, you know. So we're going to come up with a series of courses for those creatives to help them kind of get on their feet and be able to make a living practicing their craft. One of the things that intrigues me about all of that, I was when I was the president of St. Michael High School, we had some young adults that were there, and especially the juniors and seniors who were really seeing the visual arts, for example, as something they really wanted to dig into and become more involved in, perhaps as even a career. You had people interested in broadcasting, and you had people interested in a variety of things in addition to the more traditional arts, you know, the fine arts and things like that. Sounds to me like these individuals, these young men and women could find some outlet through Catholic creatives or the creation project. And again, this is something that I'd really love to see a way for us to equip our teachers with some resources on how to get deeper into this. What would be the first step for a teacher who wants to help his or her students kind of dig more into the creative? Yeah. So I, again, come to the Catholic.venture site, send me a note. You can go to Catholic's website or start following the Catholic Creatives Facebook group. So go in there and then just kind of any member of the Facebook group can pose questions. So any teacher or, or educator could go in and ask questions about from this community, how to engage younger creatives, creatives in high school. And they're going to get great answers from a community of 10,000 people that, you know, would have loved their teachers to be asking those questions. The, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that would be the first to start to, to, and and really the Facebook group is where they're going to see the greatest value because it's a very highly engaged group. They just have to, to, to go into Facebook, look for Catholic creatives and then request to join the group. Okay. Very good. sounds like a great beginning resource for a lot of our educators you know, from from my perspective, it's interesting to see the the growth in the area of media and the digital in the Catholic world. I mean, right now we've got Franciscan at Home, which involves the Catechetical Institute. You've got, of course, Formed as one of the great resources that that you were a part of. We have Hallow that is now out as an app. We've got the OSV Institute. So there's a lot of other partnerships I'm sure that you're developing in terms of really making a penetration for the faith. What's the future of Catholic Ventures? Where do you see yourself going? Yeah, the future, I mean, the future of Catholic Ventures is to keep chipping away at building, you know, building platforms and initiatives that connect the church in, in key areas. So the the next one we're focusing on is Catholic.care. And if if you go there now, it's there's just a lot of content up. It's not fully what it what it is is going to be. But Catholic.care will be in the same way that we have an app that connects all of these Catholic businesses, we'll have an app that connects Catholic healthcare providers 
Catholic healthcare organizations. We have Catholic.school, which if there's any educators that have ideas for that, that want to reach out through our website, but the idea would be connecting parents and educators with resources. So, you know, defining what is Catholic education? How can parents find Catholic schools in their area? How can they find resources for educating their children at home? Things like that. But, but again, with the mind of connecting all of these things in one place, because right now, if you go, you know, the primary entry point for people looking for information on the church is Google. And if you right. go to Google, you get 20,000 websites with no idea of their, you know, are they, do they adhere to the magisterium? Are they actually, you know, are they actually Catholic? Are they not? Are the, are the websites even up to date is, you know, mm-hmm. and so what we want to do is, is become a portal to all these great things through these different initiatives. That's exactly what I was thinking as you were describing this is it's really like the hub and you can go there and then you can go out yeah. into the various spokes that all speak to the the fullness of the Catholic faith. And I think that's that's something in our day and an age because we have got to become much more discerning in terms of the content. Yes. Yeah. So very good. Well, Matt, this has been a wonderful conversation. Again, if people want to know more about the Lion Lamb, Lion and Lamb book project, which is a subscription, if they want to know more about the creative projects you're involved in, again, where do they go? Yep. So for Lion and Lamb, Catholic.store. So instead of .com, go to Catholic.store and Lion and Lamb is right there at the top. So you can find that. And then for everything else, Catholic.ventures. Catholic Don Ventures. Great. Matt, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I hope we didn't leave anything out of things that were on your heart to share today, but uh, this is, this has been rich and encouraging. No, yeah. The only thing on my heart is just a statement of gratitude to all the people who listen to your podcast, to all the Catholic educators out there who, who have such a profound responsibility from our Lord and trust from parents as it relates to helping children become saints. And it's not an easy job. It's, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a a mission that is so important. And so as a father of Catholic children, you know, as a Catholic father, um, just so grateful to all of those who tune in and listen to you to, to get the resources that they need to do their job. Uh, Thank you so much, Matt. Well, again, this has been a delightful delightful time of conversation. And for our audience, if you haven't done this already, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and to leave a comment to encourage us toward future programming. And to learn more about the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative, please visit our website at diaschools.org. We also want to thank our production assistant, Alex Shire, for his assistance in the production of this program. May Almighty God bless you. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith, or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God, right here on Follow to Lead.
This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.